And how true that is. God does have a plan for your life. And what a great opportunity this is tonight. I'm Don Hartley, the Catholic Defender, and welcome to Deeper Truth. And and uh, we got a great story tonight. Uh, if you would like to have a uh, to call in on the show tonight, call 646-595-2071. Again, that is 646-595-2071. Or if you have a question and you're in the chat room, you can throw a question in there for anything for our guest. Our guest tonight is David L. Gray, and we'll be bringing him on in just a minute. But before I do, I want to bring on my co-host for tonight, uh, Margie from the Margie, you know, Ross and Margie Show. How are you doing tonight, Margie? Oh, I'm doing great, Donald. Glad to be on tonight. Uh, always good to join you. Oh, it is always a good thing. And, and that's what's so cool about Deeper Truth is uh, no matter what night is uh, on, man, it's always uh, just great uh, to be with everyone that's on a part of the team, you know. I just think Absolutely. it's really a lot of, you know. And so I'm really excited about uh, tonight's guest, uh, David uh, uh, Gray. Before we bring him on, I just wanted to bring in, you know, just something uh, on uh, on his uh, situation. You know, you can read his story. He has a website, www.davidlgray.info, and that'll get you there to his his blog. And and you could actually, he's got all kinds of great things in his uh, in his blog, and uh, a lot of great write ups. Before we get into it, I just want to read a scripture verse that I was looking at earlier today. Acts chapter 15.3 states, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both uh, Phoenicia and Samaria, reporting the conversion of the Gentiles, and they gave great joy to all the brethren. Well, I was looking at that, and I couldn't hardly help but think about that for a second. Because consider, here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and in every country on the face of the earth, the church is... Going through, it's passing through all these lands, even persecuted lands in the Middle East. The church is still reporting each year the millions worldwide that are coming home to the Catholic faith. Just as the church gave great joy to all the brethren in St. Paul and Barnabas' time, well, we're still doing it today, and tonight is just another a great example of that. And so, Margie, why don't you go ahead and bring him on? You guys are near neighbors. Oh well, we were neighbors at one point in time, probably, um, but not. No, I met David on Facebook and uh, uh, came across this conversion story, which is um, very powerful, and uh, found out that he's uh, from Warren, Ohio, which is uh, my hometown. So, um, so well, maybe that's why I was thinking uh, that you were neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. So. Um, so yeah, so then uh, you know David and I got to meet uh, in person when I was out uh, visiting my mom in uh, the hospital, and he came out. Uh, it was very gracious to come out and visit her, and we got to meet in person. So that's always neat to uh, to meet someone uh, you know face to face in real life that you've uh, known on Facebook. So um, so with that, David, uh, welcome to Deeper Truth. Hey, Donald and Marge, it's great to be here. Awesome. Great to see you, David. Great to see you. And, yeah. you know, I was just looking at your story. Uh, I wanted to kind of start off. I would like for you to, you know, to uh, really pick up from the very beginning. 
you know, your formative years, your, you know, how, you know, what were some of your influences when you were growing up and also some of your interests? I think that's a important uh, piece of the pie right here. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I grew up here in, in, in Warren, Ohio. Um, the house that I own now is the house that I, I grew up in as a kid. Um, my family, um, my grandparents, we had a, just a pretty much mixed up family, just all different types of Protestants. <laughs> um, my grandparents, they were, they were Methodist, well, African American Methodist Episcopalians, African Methodist Episcopalians, yeah, they had me church. Um, we had, my grandfather was a Baptist, my mother was a Baptist, my, um, my father, he really didn't um, really belong to any sort of church. So, but I mean, I sort of remember going to church as a kid to Easter. I remember always getting the Easter suits. Maybe we went at Christmas time, but that was pretty. That was pretty much it. My the neighborhood I grew up in, it, you know, was what I considered to be a Catholic neighborhood. Um, we had a church here as a parish community uh, community center. Um, we had a house where nuns lived at. The rectory was, I can see the rectory from my house right now. Um, a Catholic high school right around the corner, John F. Kennedy. So I remember going to school as a kid. Um, I would pass up the nuns. Uh, <laughs> I would see Catholics going to church all types of day, which I really couldn't understand back then because, I, I mean, we went to church sometimes on a Sunday, but it seemed like these Catholics were always in and out of church. You know, I really couldn't, <laughs> I really didn't know much about them. Um, so that 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 was that was that was pretty much it. I just never really knew Jesus. No one ever really sat me down to tell me who the Lord is. No one ever really sat me down, really um, um, introduced me to the scriptures, introduced me to the Bible at all. Uh, so that that was pretty much my my childhood. I knew the name Jesus. Um, I knew what Christians were generally that they went to church. But that was that was pretty much it. So by the time I got to college, um, it was you know game was on. I was trying to figure a lot of things out, and I was pretty confused by that time. And and so that's really where my spiritual journey story begins. My discovery of of what's true and what's not true when I get to college. Well, before you actually went to college, though, let me ask you a question because I think what you said was very interesting to me, in that you were kind of like outside looking in on the Catholic Church, but you saw Catholics, and did that? do you think that kind of opened you up uh, to a degree about that or for later on in you know, your life? or uh, I mean, was there something about the Catholic Church at that time in your life that, was, that uh, you were curious at all? Well, I definitely knew that they were different than us. And what I mean by us is people in my family who went to – um, church, predominantly black church, you know, um, yeah. on Sundays. Um, so yeah, they were peculiar. I really didn't, I didn't know they were Catholics. I knew they were, my grandmother said they were Christians, but they just did things different. Like I was seeing where shorts, the church, you know, in the community, <laughs> in, the, in the African-American community or black community, you know, generally people dress up really well every Sunday to go to church. Um, but the, the Catholics, uh, the people at the the Green Church, the St. James Church over here, is what we called it. Um, yeah, they they seemed a little more casual. Um, the nuns, I knew they were somehow affiliated with that church. And I see uh, they used to wear their habits. They were sisters of Notre Dame. I, I came to find out later. So um, they wore habits, and 
they all lived together, and they seemed pretty serious. You know, I would walk past them on my way to elementary school, and they would, you know, look kind of stern. And so we always knew when we passed the nun's house to behave, you know, all my friends. You know, once we passed <laughs> up the nun's house, we would, you know, you know, push each other around and things like that. So, yeah, I sort of knew they were uh, peculiar and different than us, but I really didn't. I really wasn't ready for investigation at at that time to really figure anything out about them. They had that stern look on their face, though, when you did see the nuns. Yeah, yeah, they they were they they weren't you know they 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 just looked <laughs> really serious when we passed by. They stared at us, and it wasn't really you know. No oh my goodness! You better be careful. Really serious. Because I, I mean, you would, I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of them might have had one of them rulers stuck behind their habits somewhere. Right. <laughs> I wasn't surprised. <laughs> it would not have been. It would not have been the first time that I've been whacked with a ruler by a nun, back in them <laughs> days especially. <laughs> now, as far as your family was go, you know, you had uh, very, you know, you had different denominations within your own household, right? Right. What I you mean, were saying, even, or... even at one point in time, down on my mother, she, I mean, she would dabble a little bit in into Jehovah Witnessism. So I remember going oh, to the wow. temple, temple with her. I think that's what they called. I remember going to. Um, yeah. Temple meeting, Kingdom or whatever. Hall. Kingdom Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was it was a quite a, a potpourri of Protestant experiences coming up as a kid. But mm-hmm. I didn't know any better. I just I thought it was all the same. I suppose. I bet those were fun uh, 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 family dinners when they all got together. Yeah, but yeah, but no one was really particularly. Um, that type of Christian, um, it was, I think everyone had a general belief that, you know, everyone believed in God, and but there was no sort of infighting about what church is right or, you know, why is granddad a Baptist and grandma goes to the AME church. There, there was really um, nothing like that. Everyone was just happy to go to their own particular church on a Sunday, and, and that was it. It was just kind of a common acceptance sort of sort of sort of kind of thing, right? Perhaps, right, right. yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, that, that probably had uh, a good impact for you because you were probably that made you more open-minded rather than that that stern look like some of them nuns. But <laughs> you, <laughs> now, when you got into college, where did you go to college? Yeah, I went to Central State University. It's out in the little town outside of well, the town is called Wilberforce, Ohio. It's near Xenia, Ohio, which is near Dayton, Ohio, that sort of area. Now, when you went to college, did you go up? I mean, like, were you interested in sports? Did, were you did you play high school ball or any of that kind of thing growing up? Or, or yeah, that was the main thing you... that made me want to go to Central State, Don. I was um, the 1996 Olympics were coming up, and I was pretty good in 800. And it was my goal to go to Central State to really prepare or get into a position where I could try out for the Olympic team to run an 800-meter. Um, oh, wow. So Central State University, they were putting athletes in the Olympics, mostly um, Jamaican athletes who would come to the United States to train there at Central State. So that was, that was my plan to go to this really good school. Well, I had a couple of friends there, by the way, and um, to, to run track there and hopefully be able to um, try out for the Olympic team. So well, you Donald, weren't hard. You know, you don't, uh, Donald. You don't grow up in Warren, Ohio, and not be interested in sports. 
uh, right. <laughs> David, David, like myself, is a suffering uh, Cleveland Browns fan. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> suffering. Well, I've had I've had soldiers that were suffering Cleveland Brown fans too, and, yeah. and I can't mm-hmm. say a whole lot being a Chief Kansas City Chief fan. I mean, you know, I can't say a thing about it. So yeah, he can yeah, we we haven't been to the big dance since 1969, and that's been a long time ago. Wow, yeah. <laughs> but still, you know, I think that sports is very important, and, and it gives a good foundation. Uh, so you get to college, and you're looking, you're working really hard. But you mentioned earlier that you that this was a time of confusion for you. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So by the time I got to college. Um, well, the first the first book I ever read as a you know as a young adult, I think as a kid I may have read you know Nancy Drew, uh, you know the Boss Card Kids type of stuff like that. But uh, closer to my adulthood, the first book full book I ever read was a book by Malcolm X. Oh, it was by Alex Haley. It was autobiography of Malcolm X, and that book really changed my life in in, in a lot of ways, and it started my interest in the nation of Islam, in the black Muslims in this country. Um, so when I got to college, I was, I, I would never, I had probably never had called myself a Muslim or a member of a nation of Islam, but I was really interested in their teachings. Now, having been grounded in Christianity, really didn't know who Jesus was historically or, or from a Christian perspective, so I, I, I would never, at that time, I, it wasn't that I was denying Christianity, but I, I would definitely, I was definitely more interested in the teachings of um, Elijah Muhammad and, and Louis Farrakhan and, and these type of figures of the nation of Islam than I was the teachings of, of Christianity. And so this is where I arrived at at Central State University, being a freshman. Right. And and from there. Um, what happened was that I became a Freemason when I was just a sophomore when I was in college. And, again, I wasn't grounded in much of anything. So when I became a Freemason, and, it's, you know, Freemasonry is, is a bit of a syncretic religion, meaning that it, it takes in a bunch of different philosophies and religions and, and co-mingles right. and comes up with some sort of different truths. And so that's what I really, that's what I immersed myself in. I mean, Freemasonry was, was something that I loved, something that I studied, something that um, was really what I considered my life. And and being exposed to all those different philosophies and, and religions and not being grounded in anything, I ended up just being more confused. <laughs> so and then well, that, that was that's pretty I was, much where I was. I was kind of very interested because you were talking about your circumstance, your situation there, about being, uh, I guess you would say, interested in uh, uh, Islam, was uh, at that time, what year What year are we looking at that uh, this took place? So that had to be in the early 90s, you know, um, 90, 91. Early 90s, 91. Okay, well then... Uh, I was wondering, you know, because I, I know that when I was about that time, when I was in the Gulf War in Saudi Arabia, I know that there were a lot of my friends who were Afro-American. Uh, right. That uh, just I, I don't know what it was, but a lot, a, a number of them were, were very interested in Islam at that time, 
And I don't know if it was just the times or us being influenced by that region or I wasn't sure exactly what that that was, but I know that uh, there were a number of uh, soldiers that I know or knew at that time that were interested. They they just seemed drawn to that. And I was just wondering if that was just that time period that, that you might have had that draw. But before you got very hard into anything, that's when you got into Freemasonry. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And at, at that time, in, in being drawn to um, Islam, that brand of Islam, the nation of Islam, it, it was, it was, it was. I, I think I was starting to become um, anti-Christian because I just didn't believe that um, what they believe was true, and they seemed just rather silly to me. With, with some of their beliefs, even though I couldn't, if I ever met a Christian that really had challenged me, I would probably look foolish myself because I really didn't know what I was um, anti to. So, but they, it, the whole thing just seemed really, really silly to me with all the different denominations. And, well, um, that is they, silly. They, all that all is. of them claiming to know the truth and have the same Bible would. It, it just seemed rather silly to me, so I, I, that was one of the reasons why I was definitely anti-Christian because it, it just didn't seem true. Well, that's believe. an important point you bring up, David, because I've met a lot of uh, non-Catholic Christians that that are just just fine with all the divisions. I mean, they seem to think that you know you have your path and and I have my path, and and we'll all get to the same place. You know, it's kind of a, a relativistic. Uh, Look at Christianity, which of course we know Jesus said he found one church. So, so I mean, it is damaging, I think, to Christianity for those on the outside to see all the divisions because it's confusing to them. So, um, you know, I think it's an important point you make that you know you look at this this division and it's like how can how can there be a, a God that's you know in charge of all this? It, it looks very confused and. And hodgepodge from the outside. Yeah, definitely. And what type of God is that that will allow that type of confusion and infighting and all these different? I mean, now that was the perspective I was coming from. What type of God do they believe in that that allows them to not know the truth? <laughs> so, right. yeah, it's weird. Well, I know that uh, way back in the day, uh, I remember when Cassius Clay became Muhammad Ali. And Lou mm-hmm. Alcindor would become Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, mm-hmm. and and uh, both of them, uh, I think Cassius Clay had a Baptist upbringing, and uh, Lou Alcindor had a Catholic upbringing, if I'm not mistaken. But mm. both of them uh, would uh, eventually, uh, you know, forsake their Christian foundations and join Islam. And so yeah. I always kind of wondered. Why or what was the situation? What was the draw? And probably Malcolm X probably had a lot to do with that. You know, you you touched on about his uh, book. You touched on his book. So I guess a lot of people at that time was uh, for, for those number of years there uh, were very influenced by that because of um, our the way society was. Yeah, it seemed at that time, and I, I still think that. The nation of Islam still teaches is that not not directly, but more indirectly, it appeals to a people who feel downtrodden. Um, it, 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 it points out it, it appeals to people with 
um, that are maybe having self-esteem issues, maybe personally or as a community. The nation Islam, it, it points out an enemy. Um, you know, it, it actually says, you know, the white man, you know, he calls him a devil. He has blonde hair, blue eyes. And I think there was a time when that really appealed to a sector of blacks who just felt oppressed. They felt like they were victims. Um, they felt that they were downtrodden and, um, and oppressed. And so these are the teachings of a nation of Islam. And then in the 80s... Mm-hmm. Well, I just, what, what, do you think that a lot of blacks kind of see the Catholic Church in that light, or or do you think that a lot of blacks are kind of more open to the Catholic Church um, when you look at as a whole? I'm just kind of curious uh, from that from your perspective. If if we were talking about this in 1991 or 92, what would your perspective of the Catholic Church been at that time? Do you think? Yeah, still, yeah, you know, I, I probably still wouldn't have known much about the Catholic Church back then. Now, later on, when, you know, I started becoming in a, you know, left college and I discovered more about who Catholics are and, and things like that, definitely, I mean, and this was you you were here in a black community, and even by Christianity as a whole, as Christianity as a whole, um, but even more so for the Catholic Church. I mean, you would hear this this phrase exactly as I'm about to say it. You would hear Christianity is a white man's religion. Yeah, and that's this exactly. Phrase phrase that's perpetuated, and and um, and even more so for the Catholic Church, just because it's such a you know myopic view without a without a global view, you really don't know how diverse the Catholic Church is, and. Um, but you just know what you see when you don't get out much, and that's definitely that's definitely what you see in a lot of places, parts of of this country. Unless you're in Chicago or D.C., um, New Orleans, I mean, you really don't see a whole lot of black Catholics. So that's just right. how it is. Well, you were getting ready to talk about something about the 1980s before I kind of you know what was going on in the 1980s with you. Oh yeah, I would say so. In, in the 1980s, you had a reemergence of this the. The black pride and Afrocentricism in the black community, you know, mainly through rap, you know, Public Enemy, um, Professor X, you know, these type of rap groups. Um, uh, a lot of black pride in, in music and in, in philosophy and in writings, and it all pointed back to again that um, that the blacks in this country we had been oppressed and oppressed, you know, by white people. And um, and again, to set up that that negative view of Christianity, that that um, it must not be true. Otherwise, you know, why would have whites enslave blacks? You know, why would they be doing all these evil things to blacks? Um, the Jim Crow laws and all these things of Christianity is true. Therefore, it can't be true. So, if it's not true, then what's true? Well, what's true is the religion that blacks were before we were enslaved. You know, West Africa, Northern Africa, which was Islam. That was our original religion, and so, um, and 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 that's just a, that's I'm just giving you a taste of the type of philosophies and that 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 were going around at that time in a black community. Some segments of it, um, even in college, you know, with intelligence, so-called intelligent um, black people. You know, went to predominantly black college. You know, these are. Uh, we're college students, you know, pursuing truth, but this is still the type of lies and un- intellectual testing of these lies that were going around that we were buying into. 
It was part of the environment. You know, you, you mm-hmm. were just shaped yeah. by that environment. You you know, yeah. that's that's really what it amounts to. But when you're in college, now you're thinking about really trying to make the Olympic team, and you're trying to to you know, I guess, succeed in 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 school. So what really takes place? What what becomes forefront? You started getting into the Masonic uh, Lodge. Uh, were, were you did, were you still in college at that time? Yeah, still in college. I stayed in college from um, from ninety two until ninety seven. The, the Olympic the Olympic um, trek never really worked out because I met a girl. Uh, <laughs> ah. it's the woman I the woman I would eventually marry. Uh, so that kind of derailed that. She was my first girlfriend, you know, really my first real girlfriend. And, you know, I, you know a whole bunch of new things were kind of opened up to me that I really didn't. Um, so that distracted me quite a bit. So, and she was, and she, I mean, that's another part of the story. At Central State, a lot of, most of the girls there were good Christian girls. were, And, um, and so, again, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was pretty anti-Christian. And what attracted me to this woman was that she wasn't one of those Christian girls. She was an, an agnostic. She didn't really ah. subscribe to much of anything. She wasn't really intellectually curious either about 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 religion. So I really thought she was really special because I thought she wasn't stupid. <laughs> and I said, "Wow, she's not one of those stupid <laughs> Christians." So and uh, so she um yeah she became my girlfriend and um. I became a mason. She joined a sorority, and um, we got pregnant. Now, what is that called for the what is that called for women uh, who become a mason? Uh, they have oh, a Eastern women's Stars. Eastern Stars. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was mm-hmm. thinking. Yeah, she would so do that later after in... we got married. Ah, okay. Well, that's yeah. something that you you shared. Something that's that was another attachment between you two. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that, that, that was yeah. one of what a big thing for me that she wasn't one of those one of those Christian girls, and um, so we got um, so we were doing things that people shouldn't do. I know now, but I didn't know much then. So we um, she got pregnant when we were sophomores, and we had our first daughter. And I took a year off of school just to work, and. Um, because we don't want to go on welfare or, or things like that. I think we eventually we may have for a short time, but because it was just hard. But then I came back to school, and she ended up graduating a year before I did, and I graduated a year after her. And um, and so I think at one point in time, Donald and Marzi, I think we um, I don't know, we had a little family now. You know, we had our first kid, we were engaged, we were about to be married, have our second kid, and and we sort of thought maybe we should. You know, go to church. You know, because uh, this is it's the right thing to do. You know, like getting married. You know, we were pregnant. You know, oh, with responsibility, we, you started yeah. thinking, well, <laughs> right. Where where do we need to go? So, now well, that's yeah. that's a good thing actually. You were thinking of your family and putting your family uh, their needs. You know, that's that's an important aspect. So that, mm-hmm. I think that's something you were founded in. You were you were grounded. Because you had that yeah, concept of family. Was. I think that's what it was because, I mean, at least I knew as a kid that that's what families did on Sundays. They went to church, you know. Yeah. And, um, so I thought maybe that's what we should, you know, do. So we, I think we did go to church, you know, a few times, but we never, it never really stuck. 
you know, I'm I'm reading your story or looking at your story, and and you you you're you're having a very tough time in in your circumstance. I'm looking at a date, October 2004. Now, obviously, that was an important day or date. October 2004 was very important to you because mm-hmm. at that yeah, point you accepted Christ. And I love the way that, in fact, that, that was the reason I played that first song initially. You found you found me because I loved the way that you put that in your your uh, write up in, in your autobiography here. In that you did, it's not like you found Jesus Christ. It's like He found you, and that was the I like the way that you put that. Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, I, I can never give credit for ever going to any sort of search for Him in it uh, or being intellectually curious about Jesus Christ, I rejected him. I mean, on, on, on so many different levels, I rejected him. But I arrived at a place eventually where he found me, and um, and it made all the difference. Well, that that's really sounds important. But in your story, you also talk about prison. Now, can you kind of tell us about what, what that was about? Or? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, um, like I said, you know, we graduated, had a family, and, and and this and that, and so we're just progressing through life. You know, we both have really great jobs. I was a um, I was a, a senior accountant at a university, and and she had a really great job in IT. But my life up to that time was just it was um, I don't know because you know sin doesn't happen in a vacuum. I say that, and I don't think. What I did to right. eventually go to prison was something that happened in the vacuum. I think my life was just a series of events that um, I had some urge inside of me. I just wanted to see what I can get away with. And I could, I could see this far back as I was five years old. I was just always trying to see what I could get away with. Um, as an adult, you know, that was just running stoplights. It was um, cheating on my wife. It was, you know, I was just seeing what I could do, what I can get away with next. So eventually... Um, in my job as a senior accountant, I I um, I decided to see if I can embezzle money and get away with it. It sounds stupid, but that was just how my mind worked. You know, I just thought I was smarter than everyone. I just wanted to see if I could do this, I could get away with it, because I thought I could. And so yeah. I started embezzling money from my job, and and it, and it proved to be the case that I actually – was able to get away with it the way that I did it because I was never caught in the crime. I was never caught in the act. I was never, I was caught because I left the job, and that's how I was eventually discovered. But while I was in the job, it, I was doing, I was performing this crime in such a way that I couldn't be caught. So I eventually was caught because I got a promotion at the job. Um, I went from being a senior accountant to the internal auditor, which is kind of ironic. Wow. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> So I got this promotion, and uh, I'm in this job as the internal auditor of the whole university, and I'm starting to discover fraud in other departments. So about six months later, after I was in this job, it was discovered what I did in my previous job. So I was arrested. Put, um, I had a three-quarters million dollar bond, so I wasn't really able to get out of the county jail. So I was in the county jail, and from from May until that December. So it was really during that time, it was really a, a time out for me. And I was arrested on May May 13th. And, um, wow, and May was, 13th. 
Yeah, yeah. It's is is really is really looking back now I can see a lot of how God was working in my life to really save me for myself. But let me back up for a second. Okay, so I was still in this money for like three years, three or four years I was embezzling this money. And um and it got to the point where I wanted to stop. Um but and there was no drugs involved, nothing. It was just me stealing money, but it was just I couldn't stop doing it. And I know that sounds strange, but it was like this strange addiction that I couldn't stop embezzling money. And I, I tried thing on my own to stop stealing money, stop wiring the money, but I actually I couldn't. I physically I physically could not stop. It's strange. But and I stopped tried everything to do on my own. I left the country at one point in time. Um, I was a, like I said, I was a Freemason. I was I was pretty well known because I had written books. I had been an editor over some really well known magazines in the Masonic Order, and so I had went on a book tour for a book on Freemasonry. I went. I had written. I went to Australia and New Zealand for this book tour. So I'm thinking, well, by the time I'm gone, it's supposed to be a six week tour. By the time I'm gone, I'm come back. I'll be stopped. I'll be over this addiction. I'll be able to stop stealing this money. And uh, maybe I'll be able to get over this woman, too, who I have fallen into the adulterous relationship with. So I'm not back for two weeks from this book tour, and I'm, I'm back to all my old stuff. That didn't work. You know, I'm stealing money again. I'm cheating on my wife again. So it was October 31st, 2003, where I was in my office. And um, I was just looking at my, my middle daughter, Deja. She was just playing on the floor, and she just looked so beautiful. And I just realized, man, I want to, I just want to be here for the rest of her life. This is what I want to do. I just want to be dad. And, and but I'm, I'm doing things that's not. I'm, I'm eventually going to get caught. I'm thinking I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't. I have to stop stealing this money. And so I got on my, I got down on my knees, and I, and I said, God, if you are real. Help me stop stealing this money. And I got back up, sat in my chair, and, you know, went back to doing what I was doing. And the next day I wake up down in the Margie. Um, and it's strange. The, the, the next day I wake up and I go into my office. I'm looking at my computer. And usually what I do, I sit down at my computer at work and, you know, I transfer some money to my account. But on this day, November 1st, 2003, I'm at my computer, and and I think about, whoa, let's wire some money, and and I just feel totally repulsed from the inside with even the just the sheer thought of stealing again was just repulsive to me, and and it was really it had that that moment I realized the the addiction had been broken, I didn't have any desire anymore. To steal, I was sick by the thought, and so, and it's then when I said, "Well, maybe, well, well, maybe God is real. Maybe He heard my prayer." And so that was my first experience with prayer actually working. But it didn't make me a Christian or anything. But it sort of made me a deist at that point. I said, "Well, maybe God is real, but He's not that interested in my life." You know. <laughs> so yeah, that's where the um, I, was, I was a deist. I was a, definitely as a deist at that point. So again, I was, so back to where I left off. I was eventually arrested in the county jail, and at this point, it's towards the end of the summer, July, August, um, and I'm starting to realize that I'm probably going to go away 
to prison for a very long time. Initially, they were talking about maybe three months or six months to slap me on the wrist. But the place where I stole the money from, they they weren't interested in me getting a life sentence. So oh, wow. they're, now they were talking nine years. And for me, nine years just seemed like forever. It was That was like a life sentence. Mm-hmm. And I had lost everything. Everything that was important to me, I had lost, I felt. Um, my degrees, my, my money, my, my family, my, um, um, pretty much everything that was made me who I was, that everything I thought I had built was gone. And I didn't have anything. And because I didn't have anything, there was really no point to live. And um, so I eventually... Um, talk myself into just ending it all, just quitting because there was nothing to live for. I had lost everything. So one night um, in the county jail when I was in my bed, the lights had went off, the lights were off, and I had called all my friends and my family and, and told them, you know, goodbye. They didn't know I was saying goodbye for, but I was um, I planned to kill myself that night. So after they turned the lights off, I got on my bed and I and my plan was to kill myself by asphyxiation, suffocate myself. So I tied my legs to the bedpost so I wouldn't be able to get out or whatever. And um, I put a this big plastic um, bag around my head and. The bed sheets I had turned into like a, a noose that I attached to the head of the bed, and so I decided it was I was going to tighten the rope. I mean, tighten the bed sheets so that I would eventually suffocate, and I would do this by rolling over, you know, slowly tighten it and tighten it. And I didn't know if it was going to work, but that was the only way I could. I thought I could. That's the best plan I had, and so. After about two and a half turns and me trying to tighten this the, the bed sheet around my neck, I hear a voice. And it was clear as day. It was audible. It wasn't internal. It was like an outside voice that I heard, clear as day. And the voice said, I love you. I am here. And as soon as I heard it, I, I stopped. And, and of course, the question I instantly asked, it was like, who who is that? And the answer that came back from inside of me was, is Jesus. But that was the strangest reply, really. I mean, how could it be Jesus? Because I had had come, come up with every reason, as an agnostic at that time, to deny the reality of Jesus. Historical, through through scriptural um, proofs, Jesus was not real. I mean, um, and I, like I said, I was quite anti-Christian. I wouldn't let my daughters go to church because I did let them go to church for a little while, but some lady at this Baptist church had told the girls that only Christians would go to heaven. And I didn't like hearing that, so I, I didn't let them go to church anymore. Um, and as a Freemason, I had, I had um, a position where I was in, I was a deputy. 
I was a representative, which is like the representative of the Grand Master for all the lodges in Western Ohio. And I would go, always go into these lodges, and I would tell these Freemasons that they couldn't end their prayers in Jesus' name. Because there had been a rule in Freemasonry that, you know, right. it, it was supposed to be non-secular. You know, you, we weren't supposed to end our prayers in Jesus' name anyway. But it was a rule that was always ignored, you know, because most Freemasons were Protestant Christians, and they ended their prayers in Jesus' name, and they would sing church songs. But for me, that was offensive. I didn't want to hear the name of Jesus, so I told them that they couldn't end their prayers in Jesus' name, and they obeyed. So that, that was, I was a guy who really persecuted Christians, and I hated Jesus. I made a mockery of him. And, but that's whose voice I heard. I mean, it was the Jesus who I rejected um, told me that he loved me and that he was there for me. And... And so from that point on, and for the rest of my life, I'm never going to be able to deny that Jesus is real because I actually heard his voice. I mean, I heard him speak. You, you know, David, it sounds like to me right there that it's, I mean, it just sounds so much a little bit like the story of St. Paul. You know, St. Paul had his road to Damascus experience, and it sounds like you yourself had some uh, a very similar encounter with our Lord and that he touched you and changed you in the same way that your life was changed from that time on, just like St. Paul's was. That's powerful, man. Well, it really, what really uh, strikes me uh, when I listen to you um, talk about this, David, is, you, you know, here we have the God of the universe, uh, you know, that created you know the universe uh, just by willing it, and and there's billions and billions of billions of people that exist and have existed, and here he is, you know, at this point in time, focused on David Gray. I mean, it's just it's so personal, and it's it's that way with all of us. You know, it's 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 mind-boggling to think that. That he cared, you know, and cares about what David, you know, Gray is doing at, at, at every particular point of your life. Um, you know that we do that. You know, we do have a personal God. Um, yeah, that is so, so, so of course, at that point, David, uh, you know, your your life was butterflies and flowers, right? Everything was all <laughs> fine and peachy. Is that how it works? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, no, it, it didn't. Well, and I guess in a sense, because I was at peace. Yeah. Um, a couple, right. like a month Fear before that, I had pled guilty to my crime, and I was, and I was like in all tears. I mean, you couldn't stop me from crying in the courtroom. But a couple of days later, after that, that that event, when I had to go to my sentencing, and here, I mean, years I was going to be sentenced. I mean, I was just so at peace. It it, it was crazy. Everything had, like, when I say everything had changed, everything just changed within me. I was just at peace. Like, oh, yeah, the judge said, and the judge had told me, yeah, you're going to go away from prison for nine years. And I was like, okay, because I had Jesus now. You know, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't matter in a sense. I was definitely still very sad for my wife and, and my children who were going to miss me and I was going to miss. But I was, I was just really at peace. So, I mean, I did, I still did go to prison. Jesus didn't. You know, he saved me. He didn't save me from me having right. to pay the price for my crime. 
Right. And, um, so yeah, I went to prison. There's still some more tears, and you know, there's um, heartache for me missing, you know, the wife, um, my daughters. But um, that's really where the journey began. I think I got to prison beginning of 2004. Um, and, you know, you first get to prison, it's just, you know, I, I really didn't. I, I was reading the Bible. And that, that was something I was doing, discovering the Jesus and the Gospels. I was very amazed. Um, I was disappointed in myself having never, having never read the New Testament and discover actually who Jesus was. And I was just was such so, just so amazing. And but other than that, you know, prison, you get to prison and you're just trying to figure out how to survive, how to negotiate through this, this new environment. So it wasn't a bunch of um, trying to discover you know, what church I was going to belong to or anything like that. I was really just spiritually, I was just reading the Bible. I was learning how to pray. I was learning how to be a Christian in this environment. And eventually that led to, in on August, in August, August 31st, 2005, I was baptized. Um, I was in prison. I was baptized in, in the triune formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, I was immersed. And um, so you were never, so you were never a baptized Christian uh, no, as a child. Then. No, 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 no. I was never. No, I wasn't. Uh, um. Yeah, I was never a member of a church because I mean, like, I would go with my my grandmother sometimes. I would go with my mother sometimes. Um, I would go with my father sometimes. You know, but I was never a member of any any church. So I don't know. I don't know why. Well, maybe, maybe think, if they believe in baptizing the infants, maybe that would have been baptized. Um, you know, this has always come come to my mind, you know, when when you tell them the story about the addiction and and how you just had this impulse to do it. Do you think that, you know, you and, and maybe others who, who don't know Christ are trying to fill up a void that's in their life, that they don't know what's missing, uh, that really it's the Lord that they're looking for, and they're trying to fill it up with other things, other other you know um, other other things that you know give them the thrill of what really the Lord would give them. I definitely believe, Margie, that was the case for me, and that, that's probably the case for a lot of us outside of, outside of outside of Christ. Um, and I was just always trying to fill up this longing. Yeah. A, a lot of different longings I had for belongingness and um, achievement and, and joy, um, and whether it was trying to see what I could get away with, just that rush, that rush of stealing money, or that rush of right. running a traffic light, that temporary rush, whether it was that or um, cheating on my wife. It was just, it was me just trying to fill up what I was longing for, and. Um, so yeah, that was definitely the the, um, the truth for my case. So how did and, you uh, this, end up at this end time? Up at this time, uh, then from uh, that part of your journey. Oh, uh, how did the Catholic Church have? It? Oh, so yeah, like I said, I was baptized in, in prison, and, and just love to give a little background about the prison I was at. At this time, I guess I would call myself a Protestant. These are the type of books I was reading: um, Tyndale, Calvin. Um, who else was was a good person I would I would read um, um, Karl Marx. Um, no, not not so much Luther. Um, I say Karl Marx. I, I can't forget um, 
start his name with a K. Can't think of it this time. But um, but yeah, just just really well-known Protestant philosophers um, from 1600s, 1700s, people like that. And, and so I would call myself a Protestant at that time, and I'm pretty educated about Protestantism. But the church in prison, and of course, it was not denominational, but it was pretty funny because it was. It was, the, it was the most it was the most sick environment you ever see, as as if you went there as a Catholic. I mean, you'd be completely disgusted, and that, that that's eventually the point where I arrived at. I was just disgusted about this this hot mess, because what you had down there in in the in the chapel area, every Sunday, a different church would come in, and usually it's a different denomination, but whichever denomination showed up. The prison, the inmates who belonged to that denomination, they would sit up front. Okay, everyone else would be in their in their sets. They look like gangs, really. You know, you have your apostolics over here, your Baptists over here, your Calvinists over here, um, it, and they were they were really really just segregated. And and they would almost some of them would, would try to recruit you, especially the ones who called themselves the apostolics. They believed that. They were following the Church of Acts in the Book of Acts, that they were the true church, and um, and they they were really aggressive about it. They would recruit you if you didn't if you didn't believe how they believed you were going to hell. They demonized you, and they had some really strange teachings too, which I couldn't you know which even now as 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 a Protestant back then I didn't agree with. They believed in baptizing in the name of Jesus only, not the yeah, Trinity formula. Yeah, yeah, and they would they would be angry with the chaplain every time he had a baptism and he did the triune formula and 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 so everyone was heretics and so I started to see this sick environment for what it was. Um, but I do give credit to the apostolics because they got me thinking. They they said they were a church of the Bible because they were following the Book of Acts and how to buy how the church is supposed to be run, and so it really it. It, it triggered a thought in my head. It triggered a question. I was like, well, what happened to... I asked the question. I said, well, what happened to the churches that the apostles started? What happened to these churches in the book of Acts? What happened to them? It's <laughs> hmm. so that was like a huge question for me. I said, wow, what happened to these churches in the Bible? And that's what really started my journey to the Catholic Church. And I, and I had told God, and I because I, I was really... I was really upset about this hot mess down in the, in the in the prison chapel in its prison um in the prison church it's the the um where we meet at the chaplain's um area. And, now, were uh, there Catholic priests that would come and say mass as well? Yeah, but I, I knew that they they were at a at a different part of the chapel. They were in a different area. You will see they them come in. They were segregated with you. No, yeah, they were segregated off in another place. It was the same, it was the same chapel, but it was behind this door. You really couldn't see what they were doing. You knew they came in. You knew you knew they were Catholics, but they were going off to do their own thing. You know, we weren't worried about them. You know, they were they were Catholics, and I, I was sort of anti-Catholic at that time too, because I believe Catholics, you know, they worship Mary. I believe that they um, did some really strange things. So I wasn't really concerned about them, you know. The, you know the Protestants down here, they were they were a hot mess. But those Catholics, <laughs> they were really a hot mess. They they had no idea what the truth was. <laughs> so, so, so the service 
that you went to was just the Protestants. They would be yeah, nominal. And then the yeah, Catholics just, were kind of in their own section. Okay, yeah, just Catholics and Jehovah's Witnesses, they were doing their own thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, they're off other other places. But, um, so, yeah, I, I asked that question, you know, what happened to the churches of the Bible? And, and that's when I, I, and I challenged God as well because, uh, like I said, I was angry with all these, these, faction, these factions down in the chapel. And, um, and I told God, God, it was like the prayer I pray when I when I asked him to help me stop stealing money. If you're real, then help me do this. And I challenged him again. I said, God, if you're if you're really if you're really real, then um you should have kept your people together. Show me your church. What happened to your church? And I challenged him. And I was thinking at that time that if it turned out to be the case that God is real and he really kept his people together, then what I was going to eventually discover was some small recluse church that <laughs> was not mainstream, um, no one really belonged to it. It was going to be something really small and, and off, maybe still in the Middle East. It was going to be um, something you know, that everyone rejected, something like that. So that's what I thought I was going to eventually discover. But it turned out not to be the case. You know, uh, David, uh, your story again. See, there's a lot of of your story that I'm I'm seeing in others that is so powerful. Uh, Alex Jones, have you heard of him? Yeah. Yes. Yes. He was a black Pentecostal non-denominal minister for 42 mm-hmm. years, uh, who. Began, uh, he, he, I guess, an interest of uh, the early church and how the early Christians worshipped sparked an interest in him, and he did this investigation, and it led him to the Catholic Church. And it just sounds like a lot of his testimony. You are just right there. You know, you, you, the Lord is, you know, molding you, and and I love the way that you challenged our Lord. Lord, where's your church? Where is it? And you were at, you were at the point where you were ready to challenge him. And what did he actually, how, how did you actually come to the Catholic Church? Or how was it that you were, uh, what led you towards the Catholic Church at yeah, that the, point? The, yeah, the, 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 it was a thesis, really. It was it was the, the question that I asked. It was, what happened to the churches of the Bible? That was my question. And that's what I really sought out to answer. So I just went to just, I went to the prison library. I just picked up just good old Britannica. Um, encyclopedia, and um, I was—I I quickly dismissed all the Protestant churches. You know, just just from just just doing some quick reading encyclopedias and other non-religious history books, I was able to quickly dismiss all the Protestants because I realized, oh, you know, they started 500 years ago. You know, so I, I dismissed them. I had some understanding that the Catholic Church was old. I had read this book called—it was a fiction. Well, historical fiction book by Ken Follett called Pillars of the Earth, and and so from reading that book, you know, a couple of years prior, I knew that the Catholic Church was old, but I didn't. What I thought I was going to eventually discover was what I had always heard was sometime in the Middle Ages or sometime around 500 to 300 A.D. that the Catholic Church started from Constantine or something like that. Um, but the more I, I began to read just secular 
history books, mm-hmm. encyclopedias, I began to realize that the Catholic Church actually claimed that it was started by the apostles. And and so I thought I was maybe reading the wrong books. I said, oh, man, these prison books, they, they, they were just so outdated, you know. <laughs> so, but I really couldn't get my hands on anything that really refuted what I was reading. And so I said, okay. All right, God. I know you're not leading me to the Catholic Church, so let's let's just <laughs> let's just deal with this. Let's just deal with this right now. So I, I I said, well, let's approach it from a theology point of view. Let's find out what these Catholics say they believe, and um, we could just once I've realized what they believe, I could um, prove that what they believe is wrong. I can dismiss them. Okay, so I went to the prison library and went to the Catholic section, which is like three shelves. It's not really much there, but I took out some books there, a catechism, this little book by Patrick Madrid. Um, Oh, good. I didn't know who he was at that time, but he had, I forget the name of the book, but it was like three different colors, and he he was holding a Bible on the cover, and he just looked like like an angry white man. I was like, oh, what book is this? (laughs) So I got that one. And then... um, and just some other books, and I started reading um, the Catholic theology, and I realized it was pretty sound, meaning that what they said they believed, they could actually back it up with Scripture. Um, and there were some peculiar things, you know, like purgatory and you know devotion to saints and things like that, the Eucharist, things that were just really peculiar that. Um, which, that no Christians believe, but them. So, and those those are stumbling blocks for a while. But um, I was really discovering just basic things, like like the answer to the question, you know, why are these books in the Bible? Who put them there? Who who put the Bible together? Um, the date of Easter. Who who made that? Um, I mean, just some basic things that I was like, wow. And so the next step in my investigation, you know, I said, well, let me go to a Catholic mass, you know, to see what this is really all about. I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to become a Catholic. I wasn't interested in becoming a Catholic. Um, The last thing I wanted to be was a a black Catholic, I mean, (laughs) because I'd never seen one before. So um, I said, let me go to mass. Let me go to this mass and see what this is about, okay? Um, I'm going to find some way to dismiss them. Maybe if I go to mass, I'll find them doing some sort of, you know, worship to Mary or something like that. So I went to church as I normally would that day. I didn't stay with the Protestants. I went through the little door where the Catholics go into, and um, I went into this little room. And it is a really small room because uh, they're only about – maybe 20 Catholics that show up to Mass at that prison. And so I went to this room, and it was the strangest feeling. I mean, I really felt, I mean, I really felt that I was at home. I mean, I felt that I had come home. Mass hadn't even started, but it was just like I knew I was in the right place. It was a strange feeling. I knew I was in the right place. And and Mass started, and this little priest walks in, and, um, 
all types of strange things are going on. People are standing up and sitting down. It's like I mean, it's, it's like an aerobics type of thing. I'm getting exercise. And in prison, there there aren't any kneelers. There aren't any kneelers, or you know, anything soft to land your knees on. So I've seen all these people, all these guys go down and just on their on their knees, and they would they would stand up and go back down on their knees. And um, the homily was really different. I remember that man for so many years. I remember that homily that the, that Father Toner gave that day. It was just so simple, and he wasn't yelling at anyone. He wasn't doing anything exaggerated. Um, it was just solid teaching, and it just made sense. It wasn't even that long. You know, a Protestant sermon is about at least you know five hours long. But this this homily was just it was just maybe ten minutes, but it was just solid, and it was true, and I knew it was true. And um, so after that, had um after the after after that was over, and I admit for a while I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I went to mass a few more times after that before I decided to talk to the priest and said, "What do I need to do to become Catholic?" So for a few masses up. Before that time, I mean, I would actually go up and receive communion. I didn't know any better, but um, but um, it was after that first mass where I had, in my heart, decided that I need to become Catholic, and I would still go to Protestant services as well as Catholic mass, and I had a buddy named Lee Lee Tolliver, and us and I and I was reading like the Catholic um. I think it's called the Catholic Times from the from Diocese of um, um, Cincinnati, and I'm sitting there reading it, and Lee was like, um, "You're a Catholic?" And I said, "No, but <laughs> I think I'm going to become one." And Lee was like, "Really? My son is a Catholic. He just became Catholic." And he said, "I think I'm going to be Catholic too." And I said, "Well, we should go talk to the priest." And so me, me, and this guy Lee, we. Uh, went and talked to the priest, and we started RCIA in, in prison. Wow! Wow! And that was in two thousand. That was right around like May. No, about March or April of two thousand and six. And we were both confirmed that August. I was confirmed on August eighth, two thousand six. That is very powerful and very. So you important. actually became Catholic in prison. Yes. Yep. 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 It went through, well, yep. I wasn't aware of that. I I always thought it was after the fact, but um, well, wow, that's that's uh, that's quite a story. Yeah. Yeah. My first confession with my first confession in prison, and and I really my first confession was so powerful. I mean, I really felt like a monkey had jumped off my back. I mean, I just confessed everything yeah. to the priest, and I just felt so free. It was the Catholic. It's like those it's, chains. It's such a gift. It's like those chains that you had wrapped around yourself, you know, and dragging were just released and fell to the yeah. floor. Yeah. They, 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 yeah, exactly. And that is so powerful. powerful. Oh, yeah. When you go to confession, the Lord takes those sins that you confess. I was in baseball, you know, so I keep, you know, kind of in my mind, he rolls it up into a baseball and throws it out into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, if you were in track, I don't know. I guess he could have <laughs> rolled it up in a baton or something. And <laughs> <laughs> throws yeah. it up there. So uh, uh, what a powerful story. And, and now look at where, where you're at now. 
Now, tell us about the, your your experience about becoming a Catholic. Now, where was your wife and family in all of this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of sort of, you know, broke the news to my family, you know, through letters for the most part that had become Catholic and everyone was supporter for my my mother. My mother she calls she she thinks she calls herself a Baptist Catholic. I'm not sure what that is, but <laughs> like I said, she grew up in this house right here where we live at and there's a church, you know, you you go throw a rock and hit this church. And um so she had a friend growing up who went to Saint James and so she always went to Saint James as a kid and She'll go with me whenever she comes home, and you know she thinks she's a, what she calls a Baptist Catholic. I don't know what that means, but so she was really supportive. <laughs> and, um, my aunt, all, all the people really close to me was were supportive. My wife at that time, by yeah, by 2006, she had sort of decided that she wasn't. You know, she thought I was going to be in prison for. You know, she thought I was going to be my whole nine years, and she. She decided to divorce me, and that's sort of um, in a Catholic thing. That had that had I had become Catholic, and she was still agnostic. That was just another reason for us not to be together. She would always say it would never work out. You know, you're Catholic. I don't believe in that. Um, mixed mixed marriages don't work. So that was me becoming Catholic didn't help me trying to keep my family together. My daughters they they were really they were really supportive. They um. Um, and they were they were interested. They always they you know, like I said they always been interested in God and in and, and, and Jesus. But I was the one who didn't let them go to church. So they were supportive about the whole thing. But yeah, not not my wife. So I eventually left that prison and I went to that was a real prison I was at. It was in London, Ohio. Then I I was accepted into a different prison, which isn't really a prison. It was a hospital where they have prisoners at who help other prisoners. So I was accepted to this prison in Columbus, a hospital where um, my job was I worked for the chaplain, and my job was um, I went through a program called Stephen Ministers. And my job was to go to the hospice where prisoners who were in hospice were about to die or who were disabled or terminal. My job was to go over there and pray with them, and sit with them on vigil, help them do basic things, and so, um, and that's what I really wanted to do. I said, well, if I'm going to be in prison, I'm going to be a Christian, then I have to have some sort of ministry. And that's why I went to that prison, to have a ministry of helping people who were ill or, and dying. So um, the lady I worked for, her name was Chaplain Rose. We're friends to this day. Just an amazing, amazing Catholic woman. Um, just really amazing. And and she helped me so much through my formative years of being a, a young Catholic. She would bring me a different book every couple of weeks, and I would just read it. I mean, it just I've read so many books in, in, in prison. I mean, just from Thomas Aquinas, Summa Theologica, just just the basic wow. stuff like what happened in Notre Dame. Um, and, and so yeah, that was that was really where I became formed as a Catholic and really got started to understand my faith. She would show videos. Every video she would show, um, she would show videos of Father Barron. Um, we watched the whole, every video that Father Karapi ever put together, you know, back when Father Karapi was Father Karapi, um, just all of his teachings. And and so they, that just really formed 
back then. I also, so as as I'm being formed, and like I said, I used to, I was a writer. I, I've always been a writer. I have wrote numbers of books, numerous books, well, a few, a few books on Freemasonry and, and so many articles. So I always knew that was my gift, writing. So when I was in prison, I had, I had wrote three different books. Uh, when I was in prison, and she would edit them for me and um, read them for me and things like that. So, and, um, so yeah, that, that that was pretty much my experience. I, I like I said, I didn't. I was since the nine years. Every day when I was in prison, I prayed for God to deliver me early. Once I became a Catholic, I found out I had help. I would ask saints to pray for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, um, I would do novenas and like, anything I could do as a Catholic. There, there's so much help as a Catholic. So many people you could ask to help you and, and things like that. And I, I, I engaged all of them. Um, and so it turns out I, I was released from prison three and a half years early, and wow. um, and no one had ever seen anybody get out of prison like that, not with a crime I had committed. And and I was released from prison in such a way that I never went back. I never went back to court. Usually, you have to go back to court to be released from prison. You know, you have to go see the judge and you know stand to reform. But they just one day they. They said we're going to have a hearing on video conference um, for your early release, and no one in the prison had heard of anybody being released from video conference. Everybody knew I was just going to get denied. They said, "Oh, this is just a waste, so they don't have to bring you back. They'll just save money. They're just going to turn on the video cameras and, and tell you that you know you're going to have to do the rest of your sentence." And then, I mean, it, it was the exact opposite. You know, they turn on the cameras. The judge heard my um, the guy who's representing me, my lawyer. He said yeah. a couple things, and the judge said, okay, um, you're released today. And it was funny because the my case manager was standing right there. She got in front of the camera and said, no, you can't go today. We have There's a lot of paperwork. The judge said, okay, you're released tomorrow. <laughs> 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 so, and that was it. Um, I went home my first day home. Back home, I went to, went to Mass um, at St. Bridget Church. <clears throat> Back down in Zinia, and um, it was crazy. They had these these things you could put down in, in front of you when it's time to kneel, and they had cushions on them. You know, they <laughs> called it kneelers. They called it kneelers. I found yeah. out. And so <laughs> it, was, it was it was really a great experience. Every time I'm, I'm at mass, even now, um, down on the margins, I just is I realized that God has brought me so far. I mean, he he. He brought me to the Catholic Church, the church I didn't want to. I never thought that I would ever become a Catholic. Didn't want to be a Catholic, but every day I'm in mass. Every time I go to mass, I look at the crucifix. I just sometimes I, I just chuckle that God did this, and it's it's really funny to me the way he he worked this all out. And um, well, well, so, yeah. really, David, it goes back to that prayer that you that you uh, you know challenged God with. Where show me your church. You know, yeah. and, and, and looking back on, on the, the different paths that he took you, I mean, even, you know, going to this, uh, you know, this, this hospital area where you can minister, where there's a, a Catholic there that can that can feed you. You were constantly being fed uh, throughout your whole journey. Um, you know, God was faithful to that prayer that you asked him. Well, I like sure was. Even though, even, even though you were in prison, you were alive. Your faith was coming alive, and and you were being fed, and you were growing. That's that's yeah. a very important story, because 
you just you just can't get around how how the Lord used uh you no telling how many people you touched in in, in that time. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 something to. I mean, think about it. If if you're one of those guys who's been in prison all their life for for whatever, and they're about to die, who cares about them? You know, when you go when you're about to die, and then you have someone who's on fire, who really cares, who's not there just because it's just a job, but because you saw it as a ministry. You saw yeah. it as a way of helping. You know, that to me kind of reminds me of Mother Teresa when she was out there trying to help those who were poor, who had no one to care for them. Many of them were mm-hmm. dying on the street, and she would pick them up only to love them. And that's kind of what you were doing. And so no telling how many people came upon St. Peter saying, Thank you for David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that. I mean, because I, I did sit with, I sat with a lot of guys who were on, not that far from taking their last breath. I mean, and who knows what type of guys these, these you know, crimes these guys committed, and it doesn't matter. But, you know, but, um, but you know that some of them had committed just the worst crimes because you would hear the nurses talk about them because they would tell you know, guys like me who are going to go sit with him on visual, like, did you know you know what he's in here for, you know? And and sometimes it was just the worst of the worst type of crime. Sometimes it was, but at that point in time, yeah. they, they really didn't need to be condemned by me. I mean, they were about to meet their maker. But um, it was just our job to just sit there and pray with them. And some of those guys, um, sometimes women too, sometimes they they did accept the Lord. In those last few hours, sometimes they really did, and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they stayed obstinate. Sometimes they still refused. Um, but I, I definitely well, you can... implored the saints when I sit there with my wax saints to pray for them. I would, I would do a divine mercy chaplet right there with them. Wow! So I think the problem is, if you, if you pray to divine mercy chaplet in the presence of the dying, um, that God will have mercy on them, and I and I trust the God to have mercy on them. So that that's something is so, I always did. And, you know, and even if, if they visibly to you didn't appear to, you know, be repentant, I mean, as long as there's life, there's hope. And even in mm-hmm. the last yeah. seconds that, that you couldn't even have witnessed, um, they could have had a change of heart. And that's all it takes for God yeah, that's because true. that's, you know, any little crack of, of, of uh, openness in the heart to him, uh, he's going to um, accept that. So, um, so yeah, it's. I mean, what a ministry! Um, I wasn't even aware that uh, that was. Uh, you said that was in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, what the, what an amazing ministry that is. Um, you know, to to reach out to uh, the prisoners like that, and that, that's one of the the you know works of mercy. Yes. Um, you know, so it, it's it's very important, and you know, as Catholics, you know, we need to pray for those that are in prison. And, uh, you know, for those to have the change of heart and divine mercy, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because, yeah, uh, too. you know, for, for those that are dying, what a powerful prayer that is. So um, so, so where are you at now, David? And, and uh, give our listeners uh, your website and some of the information that they can go on uh, to, to look at your story and, and some of your books and your blog. 
uh, go ahead and give some of that information out. Oh, thanks, Marcy. Um So, yeah, I mean, um, I started ministry when I got out of prison, just called it something something really plain, just the David L. Gray.info <laughs> Incorporated Ministry. So we try, I try to, I mean, I write a lot, you know, the blog, um, a few times a month I'll do something like you guys do. I, I would try to have somebody on a radio show like this and talk about something that they're doing, interesting. Um, I've written a few books. One of them, um, one of them, just apologetics books, is called Dead on Arrival: The Seven Fatal Errors of Soul Scriptor. And I'm working on a series of books called Cooperating with God. I've done two books so far in that series. So yeah, my website davidelgray.info. You can find all that stuff. Also, um, special projects that we're doing. We're promoting the the novena to Father Augustus Tolton for the spiritual welfare of the black community. The novena has been going really good so far. We've been mailing out the the prayer booklets throughout the country. This month coming up, we have St. Dominic's Church in Youngstown. Their whole parish is going to be praying this novena. And they're in a tough neighborhood cool. um, on the south side of Youngstown. It's a tough, tough neighborhood. Yeah. His parishioners have been murdered um, wow. just outside the church. And so they're going to be praying for the spiritual welfare of the whole black community. And um, who is this so it's, it's a um, special project like that that we're doing. I, I plan to start a newsletter for prisoners. Um, one of the things that people in prison need are just tools to know how do you live your life as a Christian inside a prison. How do you do that? Because prison has its own rules, and the rules aren't really rules that a Christian can follow. So how do you live your life as a Christian yet live in 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 prison so i'm creating a newsletter to really answer those issues and help inmates um live live as christians in prison so yeah special projects like that you can find about at my website davidelgray.info oh that is so powerful and important what is the chance of you and Russell Ford, you and I have talked about him uh, in uh, a little bit. What's the chance that you two guys could hook up and do something together? Because both of you have such a great prison ministry and experience. Yeah, I think so. Russell Ford, and there's there's another gentleman who who I met. He's in California, and it seems like a lot of guys who did time um, in prison and are, are trying to do something. I mean, I think we really should. Because I think, you know, Russell is more like a catechism. He's doing catechism. And the guy in California, he's doing transition for guys who get out. And I, I, I want to do a newsletter for guys that's in there. So I think I think we could definitely find a way to do some things together to help to help um, the guys that we know what they're going through. Well, you guys bring in a, a Catholic a, a Catholic outreach uh, that I think is so vital. Uh, you know, a lot of people are forgotten. I will give you this real quick story of uh, uh, my uncle was murdered uh, terribly. I mean, brutally murdered in May of 1977. And oh, wow. he's in prison. One of the, uh, it was four teenagers. One of them, the mastermind, is in Columbia Prison. And my brother went up with a church group uh, a couple of years ago to pray with prisoners and he didn't know this, but one of the prisoners that uh, they went to pray with was one of the ones who murdered our uncle. And my wow. brother, he's like he's uh, six foot seven, 
230-pound former Marine, you know, 21-inch wow. pythons. Uh, yeah. He, you know, he was a no-nonsense no kind of guy, but when he was confronted in that circumstance, uh, this is one thing I'm so proud of him. You know, he went and he forgave him for for that. And just like, you know, the example of Pope John Paul II, mm-hmm. and of course our Lord our, our himself. You know, right, Father, yeah. forgive them yeah. for they... And so, and I like what uh, Margie was talking about a while ago about the importance of the prisoner to our Lord. Our Lord really made that a very important issue, uh, one of the, the the issues that we should help in uh, Matthew chapter twenty six, verse beginning with verse thirty two. You you see where you know what you do for the least of my brethren, you do also for me. And and that is so important, and I I think that was the right scripture. But you know, I'm just pointing to that uh, that past, you know, and, and and so what you've your your experience that is part of your experience, and, and how powerful that is, uh, and important that is, and so uh, I mean, I really thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I mean, it, I'm, I mean, to me, it's a blessing, uh, and praise God for. For your heart, and I want to say this: it may be, you know, what you know. This was 2006 that you became a Catholic. Yep, 2006. Yeah, August 2006, you were confirmed. August 8th, 2006. Well, yep. So now it may be kind of late for me, but at least I'm, I'm going to say, "Welcome home to the church." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Well, yeah, because it's you, so appreciate important. you guys having me on. I, I haven't been back on in a while since we. I think we had. I was on the last time I was on here. We had a debate that I helped moderate. So I definitely have to come out and um, hang out with you guys some more. It's a really good time. Really good well, show. You, I really appreciate it. I'm glad you brought that up because from here on out, you know that you are a member of Deeper Truth now. I appreciate you know, forever. that. Forever. <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> because uh, uh, we're just too glued together, you know. And, and and our cause, you know, we want to try to. I think it's important to give good, you know, apologetics. And, and and what I love about Margie and Christy, they bring that feminine touch to us. We need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are great. You know, Marge, Margie is really Margie is really she she is really you, you know your co-host is a really really smart and sharp lady. I've always been impressed by Margie. We've um you know in thinking about it, you know, we don't agree sometimes we don't agree on, on on some things and that's perfectly fine because I I think she is she I I appreciate her 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 perspective and she's always authentically Catholic. And she's a really oh, yes. close is an awesome lady. Well thanks thanks for that David and uh you know I always enjoy your your post. Your wall uh, on Facebook is always uh Boy, that's a live wire right there going <laughs> uh, with David's wall. And, uh, you know, you're a lot of fun. And, and, and that's what I love about, you know, the Catholic faith. I mean, there's just a joy, a joy, you know, with us being Catholic and, and you know, how blessed we are. And, and what I really liked, um, you know, something you mentioned with the, the letters to the prisoners, um, that you, you mentioned tools. And I think that's something that the Catholic Church has, you know, one of the many things, but I think it's something the Catholic Church has that that the Protestant churches don't really have are the tools to to uh, break those uh, addictions. 
you know, we have this, we have seven sacraments. You know, we have the sacrament of reconciliation. We have the sacrament of the Eucharist that strengthens us. So, you know, we have the tools that they need in prison to break from the chains of what got them there in the first place. Um, you know, and, you know, I I think, you know, that's, that's a lot of people that I've talked to that have come over to the Catholic Church, um, you know, especially those that have been suffering from addiction say that they didn't have the tools to break free from the chains that they were in. And the it was the Catholic Church that gave them those tools, uh, you know, to finally set themselves free. So that, you know, that's very important to, to show that we have that. Yes, most certainly, and we are all a work of work of pro- in progress. None of us has reached the top. <laughs> we're all striving, you know, and we're all in journey. And so that's what I love about uh, you know my deeper truth family as well. In that uh, we're, we help each other, we're, we encourage one another, and we're there for one another for uh, any questions or any issues or or just being there uh, support. The churches are, you know, I, I love what uh, Margie, you're saying about the sacraments. You know, that is so important. The grace that we have, it helps fill those holes, that void that we have in our life. And and that's what I see uh, how the Catholic Church has helped you, David, so much. It's filled uh, that whole, those holes, the, the, the void in your life so much that it made you a stronger person and your faith is alive. And you're, you're putting it out in writing and and you got plans and so uh that's what a wonderful story david and and uh thank god for uh the grace you know sometimes like me he had to hit me upside the head for me to wake up you know some of us are like an old mule you know (laughs) wake up (laughs) you know but 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 some of you know just it's all a grace and so uh Martin, actually, David, would you go ahead and say a prayer? And then after you say a prayer, I'm going to play one song, you know, an ending song for us that I think kind of fits the, the occasion. If you wouldn't mind, uh, okay. both of you actually kind of a, a joint prayer there. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Eternal Father, we come before you this time seeking your mercies and your blessings, Lord God. And today we is the. Um, the feast of Sacred Heart Jesus, and that's the prayer I like to pray. Sacred Heart Jesus, today we wish to live in you, in your grace, by which we desire at all costs to persevere. Keep us from sin and strengthen our will by helping us to keep watch over our senses, our imagination, and our hearts. Help us to correct our faults, which are the source of our sin. We beg you to do this through Mary, your Immaculate Mother. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so I'm going to go ahead and play uh, uh, the, the song. And uh, this is a beautiful song, and it speaks to my heart. It's And uh, God bless you all. Thank Good you night, for everybody. Us, David. Good night. Good night. Next, our blessed Lord says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, against the church. Now, here our Lord is not so much referring to literal gates, but rather to an unseen world. The word prevail, that is to say evil shall not prevail, 
means to overpower. Our visitor therefore assures Peter that his church will be indestructible, indefectible, indestructible, indefectible, indestructible, indefectible, indefectible.